Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the first Sunday service of 2021. It's hard to believe that we're saying 2021, but here we are, and we're so glad you're here with us. I just want to remind you that next week we will be back to in-person services. So if you would like to attend, you need to register. You can do so by going on our website starting Monday mornings at 9 a.m. And registration goes until Friday at noon. So make sure you do that. Please continue to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And also be checking your emails for any updates. That's it for now. I hope you have a wonderful day and God bless you. Hello everyone. Let's sing together. Sing, there's a place. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. And there's a place Streams of grace flow deep and wide. All the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down at the cross. At the
the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in love with you. I'm in love with you. Will your love reign red my sin washed white? I owe to you. I owe to you. Will your love reign red my sin washed white? I owe to you. I owe to you, Jesus. It's great to be back with you this first Sunday of 2021. And I think it would be fair to say that we look forward with cautious optimism to a better year uh, than 2020. Last week we talked about the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. And today we're going to take one step further. We're going to talk about the everyday application of this. And if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Colossians 1. We're going to begin at verse 24 in a few moments and read it together into chapter 2, verse 5. So that's Colossians 1, verse 24, into chapter 2, verse 5. Every once in a while, one of my friends sends me a picture of a square with rows of symbols or letters. And the caption goes something like this. Only 5% of people can find the letter that is different than all the others of the 200 that are in this picture. And sometimes I try to be one of the 5%. I want to know that I'm in the upper class. I'm more perceptive than 95% of the general population. Something similar was going on in the city of Colossae an ancient biblical city in the southwestern part of what we know as Turkey. Uh, these people of this church were advocating for an upper-level mystical approach to Christianity. You know, it's only the Christian elite that can understand the mysteries of Christian faith. And what was happening is that there were two classes of people that were being set up. Those who were enlightened and those who they might be Christians 
Uh, they really, really didn't get it. And Paul hears about this and he takes exception to it because this, of course, when you think about it, is the antithesis of the gospel. You may recall in another place, Paul says that there's neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, nor female or male, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, a bluegrass band named Blue Highway put it this way. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that, the way that Paul addresses this is by saying, you know what? The mystery of God is common to all. This gospel, this good news proclaims the good news of salvation through Jesus. It roots us in a future hope of his return and in coming glory. We're going to talk about that today. And it compels us toward spiritual maturity in Christ. So let's read this passage together. Again, Colossians 1, 24 to chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says this, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission that God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Into chapter 2. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they would be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So he was, again, he was commending the people of Colossae, but he was also warning them about some of the things that were happening. And he provided a solution. This is what we're going to look at today. He provided a solution to help us in our everyday living. So Paul, he identified with the Colossians and Canadians. He begins this section of the letter, 
I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Um, I think at first reading, we might think, well, Paul is kind of laying a guilt trip on these people in Colossae. You know, and remember, he had never been to Colossae, so they, you know, as it says in this passage, he didn't even know, you know, he didn't even have personal relationships with the congregation, maybe with the leaders, probably, but not with the people. And maybe he was raising this as a badge of honor. You know, I'm writing you from prison because of my faith. Uh, by the way, what, what have you done for Jesus lately? Uh, that's, that's not the case. That's not the attitude that Paul had here in terms of writing about being in prison. In other letters, he has written about the sufferings of Christ, and he talks about bearing that burden gladly. So Paul is not trying to play, I've got a better story than you. He's actually being inclusive. Uh, my pastor in my home church, uh, where I worship, he often begins uh, part of his sermon by saying, I don't know about you. And almost every time he tells a story, it's something that most of the congregation can relate to. Child raising or some of those things, some of the principles that he wants to bring forth. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's identifying with the people in Colossae. He's saying, you know what? I'm suffering, but I'm keenly aware that you are suffering as well. We're all suffering. Today, you know, we can talk about the past year. We're not going to dwell on it, but life was not easy. Life is not easy. Being a believer has its own inherent challenges. We don't need to be convinced of this. But there's another legitimate perspective in this. When we pause and we think about how much Christ suffered for us, it brings our suffering into perspective. So Paul is laying a foundation that we can apply with regard to the realities of this ongoing theme of Christ's supremacy and sufficiency. Uh, furthering this teaching into a place where it becomes intensely practical in association with the characteristics of Christ. Central to all of this, and, and Paul talks about it here, is his calling and his motive. It's why he did what he did. And, and the reason is, is in this phrase, to present you. So he's talking to the Colossians. He's saying, I want to present you the word of God in its fullness. Not in part, not a little kind of sections here and there, but in fullness. And if we pause for a minute and contemplate this, we can deduce a few things. Paul's calling was unique, but really it wasn't. Uh, yes, he, he played an instrumental role in the establishment of Christianity in the first 100 years after Jesus died and rose again. But the task, his task, is the same for us today. So now you're saying, well, you mean I have to establish churches and write epistles? Well, the short answer is, of course, no. However, while there are some that are called to similar roles, as Paul had, more often than not, God's call, the uniqueness of God's call, the thing that kind of is over all of us or unique to all of us, is that we are to present God's word in fullness. Wherever we live, wherever we work, to our families, 
whoever we are living our lives before and in the conversations that we have with people. In connections to what we're talking about today, the mysteries of Christ, Paul is saying, you know what? We can declare the word of God in its fullness. Uh, He didn't say, he didn't say this. He didn't say, you know what? I'm going to give you a a Christianity starter kit. And uh, from there, you, you know, that just gets you going. But you have to figure out the rest of the mystery yourself. No, he was declaring God's word in fullness in contrast to the thought that there was a higher level of understanding. No, there is no mystery. There's no secret key. There's no secret handshake. There's no decoder ring. Paul wants to make it clear that God's truth and truths are for everyone. And so as we follow Christ into this year, we know that those truths that we find in God's word that are declared over our pulpit as we hear uh, people talk, those truths, God's truths, are for everyone. And further to make his point, Paul talks about the Christian message being available to Gentiles. He wants to make sure that it's all inclusive to anyone, to everyone, people like you and me. Uh, this may, the reason he may have included this into his letter is because the Jewish people may have been asserting that they had the inside track because Christianity had been raised and born out of Judaism and the Messiah was a Jew. And they were the first adopters. Therefore, they should be the privileged people. Not so fast. The, la- the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Nationality, age, gender, it's an all-access pass to everyone. Now we get to the key part of this passage. And we know that God has revealed the mysteries of faith through his son Jesus. All supreme, all sufficient. Uh, One of the things that may lead us, uh, just as an aside, may lead us us astray is Paul's use of the word mystery. And I should just talk about that just for a minute. Because our English word, mystery, implies that there's a secret that everyone has been trying to uncover, but no one has been able to do it. You know, everybody has failed. For me, it's a little bit like watching the magician's pen and teller. At the end of every show, every time, I turn to my wife and I say, how on earth did they do that? The mystery of the magic remains a mystery. In this case, mystery speaks to a deeper meaning. It's um, previously something that's unknown, but God has disclosed it to all of his people. It's a gift to us, all of us. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God revealed the mystery of his redemptive plan that everyone, everyone, can have access to God. No, not a continuing search for the answers to the mysteries, the spiritual mysteries of Christian life, but this this indwelt confidence that we have, the fullness of Christ through a relationship with him. And Paul caps this off, this concept, with these words. The riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Uh, let me paraphrase for a minute. Dear Colossians, Paul is saying, people have been suggesting that there are deep Christian secrets that are only perceived by those that are the true spiritual elite. That's not true. This precious truth is the, the, the answer to this mystery is found in you. It's found in you. A few weeks ago, I, I was actually studying this, and an author pointed out that one little word can make such a huge difference. And this is probably the most important thing that we're talking about. It's probably the thing that will help us as we move into a new year. It speaks to a misconception that we have and the definitive correction to this misconception. Paul says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. There's a big difference between Christ and us and Christ in us. It's the difference between a partnership and God's presence inside of us influencing everything that we do. We, we often, to, uh, to our weakness, we often lean toward the Christ and us viewpoint. Uh, this means that we do everything that we can and when we've exhausted all of our strength and our, our human wisdom and our abilities, then we turn to Jesus and we say, oh, it's up to you now. A, a bit like plumbers and electricians on a job site. You know, the plumbers, uh, the, the electrician says to the plumber, you get the sink working and uh, I'll get the pot lights working. And if you run to the end of your ability, I'll, I'll try to help you. A separation of roles and duties. Our, our, the lines of responsibility are clearly delineated. Uh, for those of us who are task-driven, Christ in us is a very difficult uh, truth to apply to our lives. Our, our self-worth is wrapped up in our work. We, we like to do our very best. We like to work long and hard. And when somebody says, you know, we recognize you for your work ethic, we like it. Having a Christ and us mentality makes us think that we have to do all the work to be a, a perfect Christian until we get to the end of our abilities and we can do no more. You know, it's like when we were kids, we used to engage in tag team wrestling. And one of us would fight until we were in danger of being pinned down or we were flat on our backs. And then we would tag our partner and we'd tell them to get in the ring, help us, take it from here, we, we need your help. In our lives, we often think that we have to fight through life's challenges on our own, and then we tag Jesus when we're spent. Whereas, when we think of Christ in us, we realize that He is a vital part of our lives every moment that we breathe, influencing every decision that we make, every word that we say. Christ in us is a little bit like uh, being on a rope, swinging out over the water and letting go of that rope over the swimming hole, knowing and having confidence that the water is deep enough, it will catch us and we will be immersed in this wonderful experience, letting go. Now, sometimes we strain to hold our faith in our own hands. 
And then we realize after a while how weak we really are. In comparison, Paul is saying, hold everything. Jesus is the one who has done all of the work and he lives in us and he is the one that sustains us every day, all day. Our access, because Jesus is in us, our access is constant. A, a poor metaphor I know, but it's the difference between dial-up Wi-Fi and constant access to Wi-Fi service that we enjoy in our homes today. The starting point was when we invited Jesus to be our Savior and to forgive us of our sins. The barrier has been removed between God and now He is in us. It's not something that we attain uh, after being a follower of Christ for many years through deep study and through trying to discover the mysteries. The mystery of God is already in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Just because Christ is in us doesn't mean that we are any less diligent about the way that we live in a Christ-like fashion. Rather, our attitude changes, our worldview changes. We obey because now we know and we love Christ and we realize He's in us. Uh, Paul ends with a little kind of add-on there. He, he, he talks about the hope of glory. Um, Christ in us is the hope of glory. The fact that one day we will share in the glory that Christ has. These are the tangible results. Uh, Paul expects the Colossians to be fully mature in Christ, striving to uh, engage and practice out the mysteries of faith. Uh, you know, not just a head knowledge, as it were. That's not the goal. The goal is to be Christ-like, transformed into His image. And one day we will be regenerated. We will leave behind this present life. And while we don't like to talk about death, death everything that we believe points to a better life beyond this one. This is our hope that things will be better. We are, we're grateful for the here and now. But we live in hope, and that hope will be glorious. We will be transformed once and for all. Paul continues this thought into chapter 3. We didn't, we didn't look at it, but he says this, set your minds on things above. And although physically we live in the, the here and now, we are part of another world, a redeemed world. We will continue to have in fullness a change in worldview. We are being transformed in the here and now, but it's only a glimpse of what we look forward to, the hope that we have. So as we look forward to the new year, uh, let's, let's allow this mystery of which Paul speaks, which really is no mystery at all, let's allow it to sink in. Let's ask him to continue to transform us from the inside out and how we perceive the Christian walk, to empower us to gain maturity in Him, Christ-like maturity. And as we truly believe that Christ is in us, the hope of glory, this year will be a better year than ever before. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You so much for coming and dwelling within us. 
we believe that you are Christ and that you are in us and that you are the hope of glory. We pray that this year would be a year where we will, uh, we will see ourselves growing in you, becoming more like you, being transformed into your likeness. Thank you for indwelling us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that this service was meaningful for you. And if we can be of assistance, please don't hesitate to reach out by email or by phone. Our office will be reopening this week. And next Sunday, we'll be gathering once again for in-person and online services. So make sure that you register. Registration opens Monday at 9, closes Friday at noon. God bless you and Happy New Year.